Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Fastamai and welcome to Spotlight. I'm Sarah Hendy and on the programme tonight we have part two of our visit to the Manx Museum's Cabinet of Curiosities and we take a tour around the island's creative events this past weekend. drop me an email if you have any creative happenings you'd like to tell me about the email address is spotlight at manxradio.com and of course you'll find links listen again and our podcast which you can download at the manx radio website first today we head back to the archibald knox display at the manx museum's cabinet of curiosities with yvonne cresswell curator for social history to hear more about the man behind the work in part one last week, we talked at length about Knox's illuminated lorica, The Deer's Cry, which he started work on during the First World War. It's even more poignant, The Deer's Cry, because it was something he was sort of taking refuge in, perhaps, his very own personal project. Yes, and it was one that continued on through the 1920s up until his death. Um, it's, what's sad is we have no idea sort of what order he did the pages in. So you look at the different pages and and some of them are quite literally because of the lines in the prayer, quite dark, uh, whereas others are very uplifting. And it's, we have no idea whether he was doing these in a sort of like an an order that followed the lines of the prayer or depending on what was happening in his life, did he go to particular lines of the prayer um, and either take out his frustrations in uh, the designs or when he was partic- feeling particularly positive and uplifted, did he go to those pages? Um, as with much about Knox, he, there's always far more questions than we're able to answer. But in the beauty of his work, whether it's his watercolours, his um, illustrated calligraphy or in his meta work there's always something absorbing and fascinating and I think actually Mr Knox would want to be known through his work and that that's that's the way to approach Archibald Knox and his life. Speaking of his integrity, I feel as though perhaps there is sort of a social renaissance occurring where we are looking again at... um, objects in daily life which have been created with love, care and attention. Because we live in this consumerist society, um, we want to be more conscious of where products come from, who's made them, at what cost to their own health, safety, lives. I wonder if there's a whole new wave of appreciation for the kind of work that Archibald Knox produced because of that, because we're looking more closely and thinking more carefully about the things that surround us. I think what's interesting is that um, often you find that sort of people's attitude is work is only important or what you're doing is only important if it sort of it brings sort of status and um, you know sort of maybe financial benefits. What has always fascinated me with Knox is that as a teacher he taught everybody from high school students uh, very of, of all abilities and ages he taught people um, in the evening classes 
who for whatever reason were coming back to art having not been involved for many years um, equally well he was teaching dedicated um, art school students with ability who were absolutely dedicated to what they were doing as a designer he might be designing a grocer's checks or an incredibly expensive um, commission piece for liberty to go to America all of these different sort of aspects from the very lowest sort of ephemeral piece of design to really important commission pieces they're all worthy of being considered important and given sort of time and consideration and I the impression I get from looking at Knox's work is that he didn't divide his work and his life into these are the important status pieces these are the ones which will get me an elite reputation as an artist and designers and these are just the sort of you know bread and butter works actually everything it, I think it's as much more sort of holistic approach to art design work and that he is making every moment count because as I say when he comes back to the island in 1913 you know he spends the war as a parcel censor at Nicalo but in the 1920s he's um, teaching all ages and abilities he's designing everything from sort of ephemeral bits of design for um, the school's athletics festival all the way through to gravestones and the illustrations for a book on the history of Castle Russian to the illustrations for Sophia Morrison's reprinted Manx fairy tales. Um, he's producing a whole variety of different things. He's, he's also an active member of St. Matthew's Church. He's an active member of his Masonic Lodge where he's an almoner, which is the pastoral officer. So he's involved in so many different things and then manages to find the sort of the time and space in his life to then be working on the deer's cry and, you know, on a Saturday or Sunday going on the train or walking out into the Manx countryside and producing many of the sort of, you know, hundreds of watercolour paintings of the Manx landscape. So you just look at the volume of work that he created, the different jobs that he had, and you sort of think, this is somebody who really is making every moment count and is being sort of productive and creative. Mm. Um, and in a sense, that is obviously where he was happiest. There's an old saying that if you have a job you enjoy, you'll never do a day's work in your life. And I really do get the feeling of imagining Archibald Knox sort of smiling enigmatically and saying, yeah, at the good times, I don't do a day's work. Because everything he did, he actually enjoyed and he wanted to be doing, whether that was teaching, whether that was designing things, or whether that was sitting on the hedge bank and painting the Manx Hills. These were all things that were so important to him and meant so much to him.
Yeah, it says it all, really. It rounds off exactly what you said about him, putting every bit of effort into big things, small things, seemingly important things or seemingly unimportant things. A letterhead received that much care and attention. It's quite incredible to think that someone from the Isle of Man who worked and lived on the Isle of Man for such a long time is so well-known internationally and so celebrated in his field. To have all this work here on the Isle of Man, it's quite, it's quite a special thing. His colour palette, I can't help but notice the distinct difference between his watercolour colour palette and the um, in terms of his landscapes, and I'm sure that must just re relate to what he sees, perhaps, but they're very muted tones, sort of sandy blues, um, and the, the brightest colour we do see is, uh, is, you know, the sky every once in a while, but it's a very sort of sedate scene um, that, that I've ever seen in... In his, in his landscape watercolours compared to his designs perhaps which are vivid colours um, and the deer's cry he talked about so goes through a huge range and, and his jewellery, his pewter works, those greens and blues are so, his style is what we recognise as being Archibald Knox. What's interesting is that actually in the deer's cry and in the watercolours, um, unlike a lot of artists, he's not working in secondary colours because um, you have the primary colours, and if you put two primary colours together, you get secondary colours. And one of the things you're always told is not to keep putting colour upon colour because then you'll just end up with muddy colours. And um, so what happens when you're putting two secondary colours together is you end up with what's called tertiary colours. And for most people, by the time you get to that stage, it becomes quite muddy and murky looking and you just don't get any sense of a sort of a clean watercolour. Knox seems to have this amazing ability to work in tertiary watercolours and to be able to blend colours and um, you see it particularly in the deer's cry where in a single letter it might go from green into orange but you're very different colours but you can't really see the join and as I say it's you see it in his watercolour watercolour uh, landscapes where it's just so subtle um, and I'm always fascinated that you can be travelling around the island and depending on the, the lighting effects you'll suddenly go oh that's a Knox landscape equally well there'll be other times you go oh wow that's a Hoggart sky or oh, that's a Johnny Aitken and all the artists working on the island, if they're doing landscapes, really seem to have, if they're the good ones, and we have outstanding landscape artists um, on the island, who seem to be able to just capture that moment of light and of the colour in the sky. But they all seem to have their own particular sort of, in a sense, weather. And it's, you know, you look at their paintings and then you look at the, the, the Manx um, countryside and you go, oh, today's a Knox day, or today's a Hoggart. Um, and that's what fascinates me, is that they really are capturing that sort of moment in time. And with Knox's work, um, whether it's what he captured from and fascinated him with the Manx carved crosses, that he then has captured and put into his metalwork designs or in his landscapes where he's just capturing this single moment. Um, 
he's left this amazing visual legacy um, of his great love of the island. Yvonne will be running a number of talks on various aspects of the Archibald Knox Forum's fantastic display over the coming weeks, details about which you can find on the Spotlight blog at maxradio.com. Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. We're due south now as we look back on a weekend of island-wide creativity, starting at Grenaby Studios. Nicola, here down at Grenaby Studios, you've got a lovely setup of your work, and there are so many more products than we've seen on show before. Yes, it's amazing. Well, we've all been de- developing our work kind of with a view to the shop, and I've been working with digital printing, actually, and it's, it's so exciting. Like some of the work here I ordered last week, and it arrived on Thursday. So I'm hoping, and we've sold out of it actually, so we're hoping that I'll have more probably in 10 days, giving the company a bit more time. But it means I can do three or four of something or test products out and, and put my designs on it. So I do a painting, scan it, I have an image of it, and then I can put it on a mug or a snood or a scarf or all sorts of things actually. It's no surprise that these products have gone down well because we've all collected your cards for such a long time. People have huge collections of pictures if they're lucky enough and they work so well on the textiles. But it's it's all sorts of different products but also all sorts of different finishes and um, fabric types as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this one, we've got cushions which are vegan suede. So it's feel like suede, but no animals are involved in the process. That's how I do it. And then the snoods, it's kind of like a felty thing and then it's microfiber on the inside. So, and it's, um, and then the, the other scarves are slightly elastic-y, so you can use them under bike helmets and things or for bikers to put over their faces. So, And it's a type of printing that's making small runs for shops like this viable, which is really exciting for creatives. So we'll be developing this as time goes along. And we have uh, Also, we have other things like Debs has recently moved here. from She's worked here before and came recently returned to the island. She's been making lovely glass, fused glass, and these have just flown. They've just gone, you know, that, that tree was covered. They've, they've, they've disappeared. And then we've got some Vicky's lovely ornaments that she's made specially for this occasion. And then Claire's been developing her droplet collection as well. So, yeah, it's wonderful, wonderful what's, what's possible. So, Claire, you've been down at Grenaby Studios for quite some time now and you've been joined by more and more creatives. It's just getting more exciting every time I visit. There's new faces. Um, but, I mean, in terms of your own collection, tell us, tell us a little bit about these special droplet necklaces and earrings and rings and brooches that are <laughs> gracing your shelves. I've been down here at Grenaby for two and a half, coming up three years now, but it's just so exciting to see how it's developing and we're getting more and more artists joining us here and it's becoming a real thriving artist collective which is it's really exciting because it helps all of us spark creativity so but as for me with the droplets um droplets came about slightly by accident using my recycled silver um and i found that if i melt the silver and combine it and um pour it while molten into water that you get these amazing shapes and I found the right combination of different silvers, I used three different types of silver, um, all pure um, sterling and fine silver and things like that and um, as they hit the the water they make the most incredible cup shapes but then if I can add add little things into the mix like casting it direct into seawater which I've collected or into the river water from the glens it creates even more fantastic shapes and I don't really quite know why some people have said it's fairy magic or is it 
fairy you know, or, the, or the kelpies or whatever else you know it's something special in there but um, it just makes the most amazing shapes and they are just so tactile and every single droplet that comes out is completely individual I could never replicate it even if I tried and in fact this week I had one that come out completely like a flower and it looked I saw your Instagram post about that it was gorgeous it looked like a little bluebell or something yeah and I, I can't tell you how I made it I could never try and redo that if I tried it's just completely one of a kind so it's really exciting I never know each time I do it what's going to come out next although you've been on Etsy for quite some time Grenoble Studios now has an Etsy page am I right Absolutely, yeah. We've gone global. In fact, since we launched the Etsy shop this week, we've shipped out to America and Australia, which, you know, we've had a bowl by Graham Hall go all the way out to California. We've had um, some jewellery heading out to Australia. We've had um, cards by Nicola and bags by Nicola going out to America as well. So it's great, as well as obviously shipping to the UK. So it just means that those people that want to ship something Manx um, and handmade direct out to their relatives, that's something we can do for them. So, Rachel Kelsall, you're responsible for setting up the Grenoble Studios Etsy shop, which is really exciting that you're sending work all over the world. You're fairly new to Grenoble Studios yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Um, yeah, well, I started here about a month ago. Um, before that, um, I do a lot of printmaking in my spare time. So I've been up here doing a few pop-ups, and then I started coming up more, and then I got more involved. And um, Claire was saying how great it would be to get some of the work online. So we set up an Etsy shop, and so far we've got quite a few bits on, but we want to get more and more of all the different artists up here on the Etsy shop. What kind of prints do you make? I mainly do lino cut, but I also make um, hand-carved custom stamps so rubber stamps I do logo stamps I do business stamps at the moment I'm working on a little puffin stamp someone's going to print their own fabric so I do all sorts of sort of carving that's so sweet um, and is this something that you've studied or has this always been sort of a, a, a hobby yeah it was more of a hobby I, I started it when um, I was on maternity leave and um, yeah I hadn't really studied it and it was just quite fun you know something to do with your hands while you're breastfeeding you know <laughs> although you know I wouldn't recommend sharp tools around <laughs> around tiny babies <laughs> but yeah um, well it's lovely to see you down here at Grenoble Studios and well done with the Etsy shop we can't wait to see more of your work thank you so, Frauke, this is the first time that you've shown your work here at Granny Bee Studios. What have you brought with you today? Uh, lots of things made out of driftwood, actually lots of lamps made out of driftwood and ghost netting. And um, today I've brought lots of wreaths made out of um, plastic shopping bags <laughs> and a couple of lamps made out of plastic shopping bags and a lot of Christmas decorations made out of plastic bottle bottoms. Wow. So you're really passionate about ethical practice and sourcing your materials carefully, making something beautiful of something that people might consider to be waste or um, redundant materials. Yeah, there's often a poetry in, in packaging. I often thought that, um, you know, the empty plastic bottle look like flowers and it's so it's 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 sad really I mean that yeah, they've been made into pretty packaging and then you throw it away and you should really be sort of looking at what else can I do with them mm-hmm. and the wreaths I've not seen anything quite like that before where did you find inspiration to make these lovely sort of fluffy looking leaf-like um, wreaths out of plastic bags was well, it just in experimenting left and uh, you know from from cutting up plastic bags for making bags crocheting bags out of and um, then I had a wreath base lying around and I started doing that and 
to be honest with you, sometimes I look on Pinterest, but you know, I think great minds think alike. You, whenever I have an idea, I'm never under any delusion that that's my own original idea. You'll always find it somewhere else in some other, you know, shape or form. Mm -hmm. But it's fun to just sort of be looking around, talking to people, what else you can make out of things, yeah. you know, give them ideas. Yeah, and you talked about um, crocheting with plastic bags. That's quite a that's quite an interesting use for them. That's something you've been doing for a while now. Yes, yes, and that that makes them really eternal, almost. You know, so yes, and I like them because they have very little weight mm -hmm. on their own. So you can make really big bags, and you only carry what's in it, basically, not so much the bag themselves. Mm -hmm. And do they last well? Because I suppose yes. one of the one of the terrible things about plastic is that it takes so long to break down, but it kind of it kind of works well in this in this situation because you've got a product that will last. Yes, yeah, surprisingly. I mean, I must say I'm surprised myself. I've been wearing some of these bags almost daily for three years and you can find a tiny bit of wear, but they never fade. You can put them in the washing machine if you wish, if they're not lined. And yeah, I, I, I find they, they last frighteningly well, really, when you think about it. Julia Ashby Smythe and John of um, Laxey Woolen Mills. We don't often see you around these parts down Grenaby Way. Um, what's brought you out today um, from Laxey into a, a lovely little eco-pod at Grenaby Studios? We've normally got a few pieces in the longhouse here at Grenaby, um, but Claire asked us if we'd like to have our a greater range of goodies, and so we, we got in the pod, and so we've got a good selection of Tweedy Lockton loveliness from the mill, and all my cars and mugs and calendars and my frock, yeah, my <laughs> drawings on, yes, and wearing my own artwork. Um, <laughs> And so yeah, we've, it's lovely in here. It's well worth a visit down here. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's a new venture for you, isn't it? Sort of printing onto. I can see mugs, which are really glorious. We've got your calendar and this incredible dress. Um, how is it reproducing your designs on on in different media? Oh, it's so much fun. Um, you've already done the artwork, and then just being able to download it digitally and get all these wonderful other things like Nicola Dixon's gorgeous goodies over in the longhouse there as well it's just so much fun to play with what you've already done and see in different formats mm -hmm. you can't resist it's yeah it's very addictive well it looks sensational and John you're also wearing your own artwork I don't know there's a whole different kettle of fish down here isn't it you must be meeting all sorts of new people yes it's great to meet people from the south of the island and just show them that Laxey Woolen Mill's still there still producing Manx lovely woolies mm. um, still weaving away and it's great that we can actually champion things like Manx Lockton wool and the blankets and the rugs and how beautiful it all is, just to remind people. And I suppose something that um, we might not always remember when we see um, your products is that in so many ways they really are very ethical products because they're locally produced, it's local wool, it's local designers and artists such as yourself um, and craftsmen um, creating these products for us. Yeah, and this is uh, slow fashion, they call it now. And like. it's, yeah, it's what we're all about. And just trying to uh, teach us all again that uh, the old ways are sometimes the best ways. Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. This Friday night, the Gaiety Theatre will raise the curtain on the first Mananans Winterfest, featuring a host of local superstars, including Kate Dowman, Mira Royal, Gareth Moore, the Lawrence Sisters, Jamie Smith, David Kilgallen and Alexandra Slater, who you can hear singing right now, in fact. There will also be turns by Ramsey Town Band and the Manx Voices Choir, who we have here now, singing Anden Mond on a recording by Charles Gard and Glenn Worrell. 
that's all we have time for this week join me again next wednesday at half past five but in the meantime you can listen again on demand or download the weekly podcast on the mike's radio website have a lovely creative week slen you (laughs) 